Welcome, friends, to the Friends That Carry On podcast, where we dive deeper in our trips, unpack tips, and everything in between. The one who holds the torch key is your host. Get ready for your ears to go on a trip with your favorite group of friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friends That Carry On podcast. We are a group of friends that enjoy traveling and traveling together whenever possible. And each week we try to explore a topic in travel where we have been or are planning to go and discussing the areas we've visited and things to do in those areas and uh, fun places to go and to eat and all sorts of cool stuff. I'm Brian Romine, your host this week. And with us today, we have uh, Mr. Jim Scott and Mr. Walter Palmer. Hey, guys. And today we decided to stay domestic here in the U.S. and we're going to be talking about the Outer Banks of North Carolina, which also extends up into the southeastern part of the state of Virginia in the United States. The Outer Banks, I just visited recently with my family, had a wonderful trip. It's a, it's a, it's a 200-mile-long string of barrier islands off the eastern coast of the United States on the Atlantic Ocean side. And uh, so... Some of our listeners out there might wonder what is a barrier island. So I thought maybe we'd just start out by talking a little bit about what a barrier island is for, for anybody that may not know. It's it's basically, it's a coastal landform, uh, kind of a type of a dune. Typically, they're really flat or lumpy areas of sand that form by, you know, the waves and the tidal action that's parallel to the mainland coast. And they usually occur in chains consisting of, you know, a few islands to dozens and dozens of different islands. So in this particular location, off the uh, mostly off the banks of North Carolina, there's five islands. There's Bodie, Hatteras, Overcoat, Portsmouth, and Corbanks. And what's interesting about these barrier islands is that over the years, they can actually change in numbers depending on what, what is happening with the weather would well, happen. Yeah, cha- actually, it changed a good bit. I know if you buy, because down there, even though there are hotels, there's a lot of nice houses that are, are rentals during the summer, during the, the peak season. But I know, depending on what hurricanes came come through and so forth, that what might not have been waterfront all of a sudden is, and, <laughs> and, and it can cause a lot of havoc, especially some of the hurricanes we've had the last few years. So, so not only islands change, but even individual properties Right. It can change sometimes from season to season. It, it, it can. And I mean, you can, of course, go out and search around and look. I think that, you know, there was a hurricane back, maybe another one in 2011, and it can actually isolate portions of the Outer Banks Islands when, you know, bridges get washed out right. or gaps are formed or new inlets are formed. And, and sometimes the inlets are actually covered over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's constantly shifting, Not you know, maybe not a uh, not a tremendous volume in our lifespans, but it, it can it happen. Are, it can, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you always hear about evacuations for hurricanes and such. And there, if you don't get, you, you, you'll you get stranded on the island for until, for however long it takes to get, you know, power back, all the different things that it takes to, to get things functioning. I know I had a friend who, who was living here who, who uh, he builds bridges when, when they built the new Potomac River Bridge here locally. He was part of that construction project, and there's been a huge bridge being built. I think it's in the Nags Head part of the Outer Bank, mm-hmm. and it's one of the grow. court down there, these are real long bridges to connect the different. And you know, usually it's several parts of bridges to connect the, 
different islands. And I know that's uh, been a major project so that when they having these hurricanes and evacuations, people can get in and out, but it's more likely that they're not stuck there because the old bridges would go out, out. <laughs> right, yeah. And so I know that's been a major project and, and hopefully a big stabilizer to, to the area. So are there roads and bridges to the Outer Banks or do you need to take a ferry to get from the mainland to the barrier islands? Or yes, no, good question. Um, so I think I had in my notes here that the bridges... They started being built in the 1930s. Okay. So you don't have to take a ferry to get out to the the outer banks, and unless or until if you, if you look at a map and you can kind of see where you, where you come across into what's considered the outer banks of North Carolina, and you're coming into Kill Devil Hills and the Nagshead area and Duck, and and if you go further south, as an example, you can travel another hour hour and a half on the outer banks you know, between the Atlantic Ocean and the Sound side mm-hmm. until you get all the way down to the tip of Hatteras. And then from Hatteras, the next island over is Ocracoke mm-hmm. Island. There's some, a little bit of interesting history on Ocracoke we can talk about later, but from Hatteras to Ocracoke, you would take a ferry. Gotcha. Okay. At the moment, I don't believe there's a bridge there. And, and uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's still a ferry. And then Ocracoke's a fairly long Outer Banks Island as well, and then from there further south is Portsmouth Island, which which then kind of extends even further down the, the coast of North Carolina. But you know, it's when you look at it on the map, it's a, it's a little bit scary mm-hmm. to look at it. My sons that were with us on the trip, my youngest one started asking me this time about, "Gee, Dad, how how wide is this thing?" <laughs> and once he started to realize that you know it's it's not even a mile across at, right. at most places, and and less than that at, at some. And uh, you start to realize that if you have a big storm, <laughs> you wonder if the waves are going to be washing completely right. across the uh, the island. And I suppose that happens at uh, certain points. No, no, that's, I mean, that's certainly something that would concern you. And typical, I mean, obviously they've been there for thousands of years. And yeah. uh, in our lifetime, people have always been going to Outer Banks. But it is, even though we're talking about a vacation spot it, and it's a beach, it is a long section. It pretty much covers... I don't know the whole width of, of North Carolina going down, but it's it's a good bit of it. So even though it's only a mile or two wide, it's a long strip uh, across from the top of Virginia almost down to the bottom of North Carolina. Yeah, just homes and homes and homes, one after the other, and um, so on both sides, and businesses and hotels and that sort. So what what do you think? What's your main attraction in the Outer Banks? What do you think? Why do people go there? This is my opinion, and I, I yeah, no. and I've only I'll be honest, I've only been once. Though Brian mentioned the Virginia Beach and Sandbridge there, I lived there for a year. I used to go to Virginia Beach constantly, so I know the Sandbridge Virginia Beach part, which is at the tip of it. Right. But and obviously, each year as time goes on, there's more touristy stuff. But it's because it's a barrier thing. I mean, it's a lot of dunes. It's very. It's a lot more natural beach and all that then okay. your your even your Virginia beach or your ocean city maryland ocean city new jersey all those beaches where you have the boardwalk and, and the hotels lined up on it i'm not saying there aren't some of that in some of these towns but for the most part big dunes and, and some fishing piers and some restaurants and all so it's a more natural beach experience so, okay. with restaurants and shops and all that but it doesn't feel as touristy to, to me and i could be wrong i'm sure there's parts that's starting to get that way there, there are some parts like that, um, but the uh, but you're right, Jim. A lot of what you see there, especially as you get further south towards the Hatteras, 
you know, the homes are more spread apart. There's gaps between one town to the next that go on for miles. But they have sections of the beach where you can take your vehicle and they have places to deflate your tires so you can drive out onto the beach and drive around. You can park your car, have a bonfire, fish, come back off and inflate your tires back up. So that's one of the, I think, the main attractions mm-hmm. to the Outer Banks is it's a much more natural it is. type of a place. And you know, if you have a dog, you know, they have to be leashed, but you can take your dog. you got to clean up after them, too, but they're allowed on the beach. So it's, it's just a more... I don't know if that makes it more family style, but it just it's a more natural, less touristy type yeah. thing. I know uh, the part I went to was Nags Head, and they're known for the really, not that all of them don't have the big dune, but Jockey's Ridge State Park is really high dunes. There's a lot of, uh, what are the, uh, that you can do off that, right. catch the winds off these dunes and, and get up and get going because wow. they're really tall and all. And then we went through Bless. there. Yeah. That's why the Wright brothers. Yeah, well, oh, Kitty, yeah, Kitty, Hawk, right. Just, Kitty Hawk's right there by Nags Head, uh, or near Kill, Kill Devil Hills, which all that sort of runs together. But I know we were uh, we were driving down through the park, and it was really windy when we were there. And if you can picture snowdrifts in the wintertime, and, and, and just blown over those, but some of the parts of the road were closed because of sand drifts. That's right. Wow. Uh, and, and the dunes are really high, so it's like these 8, 10, 20 feet high piles of sand and then it starts drifting and, and uh, the roads get closed. So it, was, it felt like it was wintertime and it wasn't. Because <laughs> the sands are kind of whitish. You know? right. So it seemed and like snow to a degree. And you have the kite borders that yeah. take advantage of the Absolutely. winds as well. If you know what the kite boarding is, how oh, yeah. you know, it's kind of surfboarding, but with a sail. Right. And these guys hit the waves and the wind carries them up and they'll fly 20, 30 feet in the air and just and come back down and hopefully land correctly. But right. it's, it's a cool scene to watch. Yeah. And, and because these are small towns, like, I traveled a good bit in North Carolina, and one of the reasons why I like travel was to experience people and cultures. So I would imagine, do they have that Southern hospitality, laid-back mentality? I got that. When I was there, I got that feeling. Yeah, I, I guess would imagine you're so. there, and, and I was off-season, so right. yeah, that changes sometimes when you're dealing with the bigger crowds, but right, I got that right. feeling. It was very nice, very yeah. laid-back. Right. Well, it was, it was before the Europeans came and somewhat settled the Outer Banks as well. You know, there were small branches of larger tribes, Native Americans, oh, wow. that were inhabiting the Outer Banks. Mostly, from what I understand, in the summertime, they used it more for fishing and collecting. And then in the wintertime, they would move to, you know, Roanoke Island, something a little further in, or, or to inland. Right, right. Um, but the European explorers, you know, they came as far back as the 1500s. And you were asking about the Kind of the culture and the friendliness and, and there's evidently notes and stories about how the hospitality to the foreigners was well documented and the, the happiness the overall quality of life and how the native americans treated the foreigners that were coming in mm. and uh you know but the, the the reason that they believe that the native americans have really vacated you know over all those hundreds of years you know the european european born diseases was, was one of the likely causes. And then just, you know, your typical migration they talk about. But there's the Outer Banks accent they talk about is more like an, an English accent than it is American. And so when you're talking about what, what type of a, an accent or, or that, that hospitality or oh, okay. um, that's... Uh, so it was from all the, uh, at least from back then, the obviously settlers, but you got your pirates, you got all that type of stuff. You mentioned Roanoke Island. Is that the lost colony of Roanoke? It is, yeah. So uh, have they ever totally determined what 
what happened <laughs> to those people? I think it, my understanding is, is the, they feel like the most likely scenario is just kind of what I described there. You know, the, the diseases that were brought in from the European settlers and which may have forced migration, um, things of that sort. But Plus, I think uh, they had a really harsh winter because they, they were sort of one of the original people. And then the, the a handful went back to England like they did oftentimes and to get supplies, bring more people and all that. And then when they came back, they couldn't find anybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I think I, in the, the stories I've read that part of his migration, but a very harsh winter and some disease just yeah. kind of wiped them out and, yeah. and a few well, some other places. And some of it may have been because of, you know, one of the stories I read about, the, you know, the earlier residents of the Outer Banks and, and they called them, quote, wreckers. They made their living by um, scavenging shipwrecks, old shipwrecks. Or what, what I found really interesting is they would also lure ships to their destruction. So they would hang lanterns around their horses' necks, and they they walk the horses along the beach. And so the lanterns, with that up and down motion as they're attached to the horse, would appear to the ships out at sea that that represented clear water, like there was another ship there. And so what would happen is the unsuspecting captain captain would then drive his ship ashore following this false light. And so I imagine that uh, that particular job may have gone away over the years. And right. maybe that way of living, from, from, maybe that lent itself to some of the migration inland as well. Um, but I just thought that was kind of a funny story. But, you know, they, it is some really cool history lighthouses you know well, i was going to say you brought up the lanterns on there they're known for lighthouses down there yeah the, the lighthouse tours we've done a couple uh, it's it's really cool most of them are just situated on a park one of them they had actually picked up and moved mm-hmm. um, is that Bodie? Uh, i think that that was the Bodie yeah. lighthouse and they just slowly 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 moved it but mm-hmm. you know some of them you can climb up to the top and you have these wonderful views and great pictures but um, a lot of history with the lighthouses that's one of the draws as well well i think what's neat about them and, and i've gone to at least through that area because there's a, there's an old one at uh, uh cape story in virginia beach and then the Bodie one went down i know some others throughout uh, the outer banks and, and if you're not paying attention, just think they're black and white or red and white, but each one has its own design, whether it's up and down stripes or vertical stripes or whatever. You can tell if, if you know your lighthouses, which one's which based on the design of the way it's painted. They're still usually black and white or red and white, but they, they'll do the design a little bit different. So, uh, so and it's for the sailors, if they can see it, they know where they're, they're at to a degree. And obviously at night, it's just a light. Right. Um, but uh, but they, they do have different designs. Okay. On I, purpose. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize that. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So that you know those. Walt, you had asked about some of the main attractions. I mean, of course, you know the, the you know the beaches. You know the more natural setting. The lighthouses are a big draw. Um, of course, there's great fishing. You know, you can you do a lot of surf fishing, or you can charter boats. Really, I was surprised at how relatively inexpensive it is to charter a boat and to go out and uh, fish for tuna or fish for mahi-mahi or whatever it is you're going out for. You can get a small group of people and go out for five, six, seven hundred dollars and split it up between everybody. And it's a, it's a really because, cool way to... Is that because the intercoastal waterway is probably pretty close to offshore there, would you imagine? It, it's definitely... Through there, it's got it. Well, what, I know it comes what through you have is you have you have the uh, the Atlantic Ocean to the east, right? And then 
to the west, it's called the sound side. Right. So, I mean, it, when you look at the map, you can kind of see it. It almost feels like it's still the Atlantic Ocean. It just has this barrier island going right. through it. Right. But they call it the sound side. And there's, you know, there's the Albemarle, Albemarle Sound. There's the Pamlico Sound. There's, you know, different ones there that you can see. But that's kind of your waterway. Gotcha. So there's a lot of fishing that you can do there, but you can also go out east. Yeah, and I would imagine if you went east, um, I would imagine that that intercoastal waterway is probably not too far. Well, I, I know, well, I know for a fact because I know it comes in Virginia Beach. I know where it comes in there. And so right. I don't know if they use the sound or whether it's a little bit further in, closer to the coast. And I imagine the intercoastal, I know you were in Sunset, but right. they had to come up through there in Myrtle. I don't know if they use the sound or not, since there's a barrier there, or whether it's up closer to the, to the actual true coast of North Carolina. Yeah. We're talking about like for the, the intercoastal. Well, I know. Well, he's talking about the intercoastal highway, which is a a waterway to get boats down without going through the ocean that, that travels pretty much up and down the east coast. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there's ways to get out to the water. But then with uh, and the reason with why fishing, I mean, obviously, anytime you're in a coastal town, fishing is going to be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but I do know for uh, they they have some deep sea fishing contests, like for marlin and all. Yeah. That's good through there, up through Virginia Beach, even up to Ocean City, Maryland. It is it's good water. I mean, you got to go ways out for the marlin. Yeah. But there's some big contests there. Thirty miles or so. They have the stripers, all kinds of, of, of good fishing there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and they also got fishing here. So if you don't want to charge something out, you can go. Either bring your own tackle and, and just pay the pier fee of a few dollars you got on the pier, or they'll wrench a tackle too and just sit there on the end of a pier and yeah, they can catch flounder and well, uh, all kinds of different perch and stuff like that. A really cool story when when I was taking a walk with my wife on the beach and we walked several miles up to there was a, a pier or dock that was part of a research facility there just on the other side of the duck. Mm -hmm. And on our way back, this gentleman had just come ashore off of his paddleboard. Well, on his paddleboard, on the back of his paddleboard, there was a spear sticking straight oh, up. Wow. And he had a, I don't know what you call it. It was, you know, the big metal ring mm -hmm. with about, it must have been 15 or 20 good four or five, six pound fish wow. on it. Now, so, of course, you know, we stopped and we're, right. you know, we're really interested to see what this guy's doing. Right. And he is ecstatic. I don't think I've ever seen a happier guy in my life. <laughs> so this this was evidently his first time going out. Spear oh, wow. fishing. He went out at 9 o'clock in the morning and we saw him at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He was on his paddleboard the entire time wow. so for five hours and he took his lunch with him and he would stop every couple of hours and sit down on his paddleboard with his feet in the water. But and have lunch or do whatever he wanted to drink, and then he would spearfish. So, and uh, what he was so ecstatic about is he was spearing triggerfish. I had heard of triggerfish before, and I had heard of people fishing for them, and how how great of a fish it is. Actually, it's you know a very mild, very tasty fish, evidently that you can cook in tens of different ways, and it's wonderful however you cook it. But I'd never seen a triggerfish up close before, and when we went up and I started to take a video and pictures and, and of course asked the gentleman if it was okay. And he said, sure. The trigger fish had teeth that must've been uh, close to a couple of inches so like long. Barracuda, they, right? Well, I've, I've never seen barracuda teeth, but these things were much sharp. bigger and sharp. very sharp. Well, I know that they were sharp because as he was putting one of his catches on his ring, 
one of the other ones latched onto oh, his forearm. Oh, my. And there was so a the spear didn't bite kill mark. The spear <laughs> did not kill them. The, um, the, there was a bite mark about the size of a, probably a silver dollar. Mm-hmm. where it had latched on and, and it wouldn't let go. So one of his buddies who was nearby had to come over with a pair of pliers to get the the oh. trigger fish detached <laughs> from his forearm. And I think that was part of his really great story for the day, too, is he had a little bit of so a... So made him happy had a buddy with pliers, or...? <laughs> <laughs> I think all of it. Yeah, uh, no, that's great. But it's it's a really prehistoric-looking fish. Right. The the uh, the skin is evidently tough as nails. Like you have to use a razor evidently to cut it, huh. um, and they have spikes sticking out of them. I mean, it does. It looks like a fish from the prehistoric age. Right. Wow, that's crazy. So it was it was pretty cool. So that was the so the, uh, fun with, fishing story with his spear. And I don't know if you asked him this or not. How? I mean, the fish had to be fairly close to the top. I would assume. How far down it was? I mean, is it one foot, two foot, three foot? How far? When he sees the fish, and he's throwing the spear, and I know just a normal biology science class that light diffracts, so it's not exactly where you see it uh, or you think. So it's that makes it even harder throwing the uh, spear through the water to hit where you think you're throwing it at. But how deep were the fish? Did he did he give you an idea on that? You know, that's a really good question. And it was one that I wanted to ask him, but didn't get around to. I wanted to ask him as well as if he was like feeding the fish to get them to right. come to the top. Yeah. So I, I wondered if he had something with him. In reading about trigger fish, this specific variety, there's 20-some different varieties of trigger fish, some of them very colorful. These these were, I think, more of the ones that were like the, the gray variety. Not much color in them at all. You said he had to be about five or six pounds? Yeah, well, the ones that he had, they're anywhere from, you know, two to, I think he had mentioned, I didn't look this up, but he mentioned he thought that, like, the record, or at least in that area, or maybe the state record, was seven and a half pounds or so. Gotcha. He had a few that he thought were five pounders. Well, that's cool. And then they probably, my guess is, is they were two, three, right. or five pounds are the ones that he had. Nice. Um, and. But I, I don't know if the fish were all the way at the top, but, it, you know, it's a little gross, but the way he had to, to rain through them because he couldn't get it through their skin, it went through the eyes yeah. of the fish in order to get them on the ring because it was too tough to put through their skin. Right. And uh, But they were still alive. And oh, yeah. you, you, I didn't want to get close to them because they looked very unhappy. <laughs> and I guess rightly so. They typically are around reefs and rocky edges is, is what they are. And it's not super deep waters that they're in. So I think they're, they are somewhat near the top, you know, some, you know, 10 to 15 feet of water. So it's not super deep where they are, but I would, I don't know if they come to the top or if he was luring them to the top or how that works. And then with the spear, after he throws it, is there like a line hooked back to him, I guess, so he doesn't lose the spear that he can, does he hand pull it in? Does he? I, mean, I don't think it's a real one, a spear. Uh, yeah, I I so got I the a... sense I didn't see a line attached to it. Right. So I got the sense that he was just more jabbing and holding oh, on so, to oh, the okay, spear. So they have to be close to the top. Then. Right. Yeah. We think it's so not they like Moby Dick and they're shooting harpoon <laughs> out there and then yeah, going for a ride. So was so this guy a local or was he? He had to be a local. He he was a local. I forget what he said he did. I think he was in real estate locally okay and he just uh one of his buddies had talked him into doing it and it was his first day out and you could tell he was hooked no pun intended but he was uh he was just as happy as he could be 
So I took pictures. Uh, he asked me to take pictures of him holding his fish oh, cool. by his paddleboard with his spear in his hand. Oh, nice. And then he gave me his phone number so I could text the pictures to him. That's cool. And it was, you know, maybe we'll post some on our website. Yeah, for, yeah, for, for, uh, so so that, that tells me that that culture is laid back, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. you know, enjoy, enjoy what's around you as far as nature and, and what yeah. have you. That's kind of cool. Yeah, very it, much so. Mm-hmm. Just real quick, not to, to divert a little bit, you talk about the eyes and the fish and, mm-hmm. and doing things like that. I know, and this is another, this is a freshwater fish, but they have teeth too, a northern pike. And I used to go with my uncle fishing for those. And when you, when you did get them, and when I was, you know, 11 or 12, it, initially it was kind of grossed me out. But then you got used to doing it because you didn't want to get bit when you're taking the hook out. You actually grabbed them by the eyes with, with both fingers and, and put your fingers in their eye sockets and they paralyzed. Oh. So then they would stop. You could take the hook out. And then when you, you know, were giving them back or putting one in your string or whatever, when, as soon as you took your fingers out of the eye, they were back to normal. So. Whatever it is with the eyes, it's it's a not an uncommon thing for fishermen to to do things through the eyes of fish, especially once you teeth. So so we away from those. Well, one one last thing on fishing, just as a warning. So my oldest son and I were running on the beach one morning, and there are always, at least in the the duck area where we were this time, and down Hatteras where we've gone many times, there are always surf fishermen or fisherwomen out. And so they set their poles right up on the beach and you're walking or running underneath of their fishing line. Oh, wow. And they're, they're not all over the place, but there's enough of them <laughs> that you got to pay. Attention. My son wasn't paying attention. So he ran right into the fishing line. So the guy and I were joking about it. And I said, that's my son. He wasn't paying attention. He just kind of laughed. He said, well, it could have been worse. And I said, yep. He said, well, that was my biggest catch of the day. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so you do have to kind of watch for that, but it's really cool because you can watch the, these guys reeling things in and uh, it's uh, the kids are out there with the parents having fun with it. And they get so excited when they reel fish in or when okay, dad or yeah. mom reels fish in. It's a lot of fun. It it's cool. is. When you, especially if you're, you're on the beach for swimming and you see these, these guys fishing, especially they get a decent size fish are thinking, well, that was just that where I was fishing or I was swimming. <laughs> and then now I don't know what it's been lately. Were, were there any shark alerts when you were there? I, 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 you see things on Facebook and all. And you, on the you news. kind of don't digest exactly where they're at. You just sort of know they're off North Carolina somewhere. There were three shark incidences the week before we went. Nice. Now, the evidently the, the waters were much colder the week before and that supposedly lends to the sharks being more attracted to that area but they were also more attracted to the individuals that were going further out mm-hmm. so you occasionally you would see somebody way out there on a surfboard or swimming way out and or a canoe and a spear or on a canoe and a spear or a surfboard and a spear yeah. and uh, but we felt very safe there you know, it was on our minds and, you know, we were kind of, my, my wife and I were kind of watching for it, but we, we did see dolphins that were, you know, fairly close to the shore. That's um, fun. We, we That's did see little feeding frenzies with the, the pelicans and the osprey diving in and, and no big fish. fins in the middle of the, mm-hmm. the feeding frenzy. No big fins <laughs> in the middle of the feeding frenzy that we saw anyway. But uh, it is really cool because you do see a lot of that, you know, as we were sitting in, in the house that we had, it had big windows overlooking the ocean. An osprey flew right past the window where I was sitting having coffee in the morning. It was carrying 
it must have been a three foot long fish and it's causing it. Well, this cross, I mean, I don't know if everybody knows how big an osprey is, but that's a big bird. Yeah, it's what is, I would imagine it's, it seems to be its body alone three feet long, but the wingspan is probably double that. So don't yell at me if I've got that wrong because I'm totally guessing. But right. it, it was an impressive sight to watch right. it fly by and carrying that fish and probably taking it back to its young ones in the nest. Was it a trigger fish? It was not a trigger fish. It was not a trigger fish. (laughs) The trigger fish are kind of flat oval shaped fish. And this one was a long slender something or other. Nice. Uh, But uh, uh, you said the pelicans too. Pelicans, I mean, a couple of prehistoric type animals you're talking about with the trigger fish, but the the pelicans always think they're neat, especially when you get up close to them. I mean, they're just sort of with the, the long beak and just kind of awkward looking and just seem like they're from a, a different age, but it, it's really cool to see them, especially when they dive in if they get a fish. Yeah, those are fun to watch and that you see them kind of gliding. They'll stop flapping their wings and they just kind of float in the air and they're looking and, you know, they're probably 30, 40, 50 feet above the water. And all of a sudden they'll just tuck their wings in and they'll just go straight. It's like a free fall straight in yeah. beak first. And just it's like a kamikaze pilot. It's a kamikaze pilot. Yeah, that's great. That's what's cool about it. Those are some of the neat things about any beaches. But seeing those, the dolphins, right. and the pelicans. I will say in the Outer Banks, when you were talking about how natural, you know, one of the draws there is you see much more of that in the Outer Banks than you would say for, for some of the other beaches that I've been to on the East Coast that are further north that are heavily populated and, and lots of tourists and packed beaches you don't see that and I think even stuff. some of the like South Carolina even Georgia I think I'm heading down to South Carolina in a couple of weeks at the end of July for vacation you'll see some but you won't see anything like that and I think being out there because it's kind of secluded you get more like you said more natural more raw landscapes right yeah that's right yeah yeah but there are other things we had our kids with us and so we were in the duck area and we had been all the way down on the tip of Hatteras several times before and it's more secluded it's tougher to find a restaurant and we had to drive 25 minutes or 30 minutes to a grocery store but right there in the duck area there are lots more things to do and you can drive to Kerala and, and just not to interrupt to give our listeners uh, an idea duck and crawler on the northern part Closer to Virginia, where Hatteras is down on the southern part on that. That's right. But yeah, go ahead. I, yeah, know, no, I just wanted to sort of give no, some that, respect. That does give a sense. Of course, you could you could look up a map of the Outer Banks, but it is interesting. You know, right in the, around the you know what's considered Kill Devil Hills in that area is where you where you cut across off of Highway one one sixty eight or one fifty eight. I think it is over one fifty eight yeah. over to the Outer Banks. And so once you get to the Outer Banks from there, you can go north almost all the way up to Virginia Beach, or you can go south for hours all the way down to the tip of Hatteras or until you get to where the ferry is. I think it's, it's called the Free Ferry or something right there at the Hatteras Inlet. But yeah, so that, that gives you kind of a sense. So where, where Duck is, is when you come off of Highway 158 over to the Outer Banks, you would go north, but it, it's very close right there for Duck. Kerala is a little bit, you know, you can drive another half hour or so to get up into Kerala. And that's one of the cool things that we did there in Kerala. We went to the Kerala Adventure Park. Um, so it, this just opened. I think it might have been this year. I think wow. that it just opened. It's the largest aerial adventure park in the Outer Banks. It's basically a giant jungle gym. 
Thanks. Is what cool. it is. And so you have this main tower in the middle, and off of the main tower, there are four stories that go up. There's level one, level two, level three, and level four. And off of each level, there are three kind of obstacle courses that you can go out onto, and they circle back around to the main tower, and you can choose each one. And so you get, you get strapped in like you're ziplining, so you're always strapped in. And the lower tier is easiest, and it gets harder as you go up, and you just kind of conquer these little, you know, you're walking across the rope ladders or cables or whatever they are. But as you move up, it gets really difficult. And is it ever hard? I, I got up to the third level and I was hooked in. So you're 30 feet up, plus there's another 10 feet of drop below the main tower. So I'm about 40 feet in the air, I think, is what it was. And I'm hooked in, but I don't feel like it. Because I feel like I don't want to slip off of anything, right. even though I'll be caught and I'm in a full body harness. I didn't want to slip off because you, you felt scared. Like if I fall, oh my gosh, I'm going to fall right. to the ground. But it is really challenging as you get higher. And if you get halfway out and you don't want to do the other half coming back, you can turn your attachment a different direction and you can kind of go off the track onto a different track, hooked in the whole time, and you can zip line back oh. to the main tower, which That's is cool. kind of fun. Yeah. So we did a two-hour trip there with all the kids, oh, nice. um, and we had a blast. It was, it was a lot of fun. So they have lots of things like that. Of course, lots of putt-putt courses. They have really cool... But putt courses, evidently, Tiger Woods holds the course record at the one that we played at. <laughs> oh, I would hope so. And, uh, <laughs> and now this is this the guy promised us he wasn't telling us a fib, oh. um, but I I'm still a little skeptical. Right. And they also have a natural grass putt putt course oh, in the Corolla cool. area, which is that's really cool. Any golf different. courses? Kill Devil Hills has a golf course, right? Lots of great golf courses. Because uh, yeah, I'm not sure if they hosted There's a the, U.S. Open or the Currituck Club. There's Nags Head Links. There's there's several of really really fun good golf courses on the Sound. I know Nags Head Golf Links is right kind of on the Sound side. Beautiful water views. Really, and I didn't get a chance to play this time around, but really very reasonable pricing for resort golf. I think, and really nice golf course. Um, so so of course you've got you've got the golf. You've got the beach we've talked about, and you've got the um, – oh, one thing at the uh, Corolla Adventure Park that I forgot to mention to you guys is they have axe throwing. Oh, nice. That's so kind of a popular thing. That's become a popular thing. We didn't do it, but for, for 20 bucks for an hour, you can get a lane with up to four people, and they serve beer. And I'm not sure that beer and axe throwing really should go together, but – I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. Usually, axe throwing is at a bar these days. So. It, it usually is. <laughs> um, so we we didn't do that, but they had axe throwing there too, which I I, I kind of wanted to do. It, it sounds like fun, and, and now this is you know how you see these little things. I I don't know if I saw it on Facebook or or whatever uh, YouTube video, but it was a girl in a bar, and she you know she had the axe with both hands overhead and chucks it at the target. And somehow it bounced and came flying back at her, and she ducked at the last minute. And the axe went over. Whoa! So I guess there is some danger other than the normal stuff of drunks, you know, hammering <laughs> sharp objects. But <laughs> oh, that's scary. That was a little scary. 
you remember it, well, you know, in our dark throwing days, occasionally yeah. you have a dark. Oh, hit, yeah. Hit the metal frame on the board. Yeah, back, 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 back at you. I, I wonder if the axe throwing is the same, where, like in darts, remember if you catch the dart, you can throw it again. That's right. Absolutely. So I, would, I would catch, assume so. If you catch it in your hand, you can do anything you want with it. It's an axe. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if we were recap Nags Head to this point, we started out with the Native American Indians. We had some English settlers. Yes. And then pirates. Pi pirates. Awesome. Blackbeard. Blackbeard. Was, he was, and what did he go by? He, his name, it, it wasn't Blackbeard to start. But was his name it, Teach or something? Edward, yes, that was it. Edward Teach. Edward Teach. And so he was actually, he, he did his pirating off of Overcoat for the most part, but he was also killed there by the, uh, the Virginia military Virginia battalion or something. Oh my God. I think he was actually killed there, but yeah, lots of good pirate stories too. And then after pirates, civil war, maybe. Yes. If we're doing a chronological. Right. Right. Yeah. I didn't yeah. see much on civil war history. But I would imagine. I'm sure the, the, yeah, banks. the runners and the, the shipping, you get supplies, things a lot of the South, that a lot of stuff coming from England. Would be natural to come to some of those ports through there. So it's called the graveyard of the Atlantic. Is it because of the Native American Indians and what they or the the light, you know, the horse, the light on the horse, or is it just a treacherous region of the Atlantic Ocean? It's because of the the volume of shipwrecks. And the, the history of shipwrecks. And this is a guess, but we talked about the topography and, and what the, how it changes constantly with uh, with the sand shifting and dunes and right. the weather and all that. So what last year when, when was the ship came through was fine. Was now it's not. Now it's a barrier. So back in those days, they didn't have a bunch of buoys, you know, marking the the safe lanes. So uh, they run ashore a lot. So. So obviously our, our listeners can't see this, but I am online looking at the numbers of shipwrecks that are logged in the Outer Banks, and it goes for pages and pages and pages. And so I believe that that is why it's considered the graveyard of the Atlantic, right? because of the number of shipwrecks that had occurred. Gotcha. And so there's lots of good history in museums and that you can spend quite a bit of time there's well, parks all over the place are there the are some of these parks shipwrecks that you can explore not that i know of not that i've been to okay. but the few parks that i've been into and kind of the museum areas where they have some of the history they have the history of the shipwrecks gotcha so or some of the shipwrecks that are in there and some of the pirates and you know so, some really cool things just to go to or if you're there with your family or there with you and your wife or just a group of people it's um so, you know really Cool history all the way down on the tip of Hatteras. It almost feels like in the middle of nowhere. There is a museum all the way on the tip that's not huge, but it's kind of cool that that far down they, they actually built one. Nice. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, Brian, you mentioned you stayed at, well, you've stayed all over. You've been as far down as Hatteras and you stayed at Duck uh, and near Corolla. I've, I've stayed in the Nagshead area. What would you say? I mean, are they all the same? Is one area busier than the other towns like the northern part duck and crolla is a little more has a little more activity going on than say hatteras nags head which is i guess i don't know if it's truly halfway down but it's further down than duck and crolla had a decent amount going on but mm -hmm. it, I, I think duck and crolla have more going on how would you describe that 
with experiences you've had up and down the, the Outer Banks. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely duck and Corolla, Corolla, however you pronounce that, is yeah, yeah. so however you would pronounce that, the experience for me preferably is further south in Hatteras where there's less activity. I enjoy kind of more of the nature and the quiet parts of the island rather than the and and I you know I can't call it overcrowding in Duck and Kerala. It's just not overcrowded when you compare it to say Myrtle Beach or Virginia Beach or Ocean City, which are all wonderful places to go. It just depends on what you're looking for. Right. right. So the Outer Banks in general, I feel like are less touristy or less populated. So you have much more spaces on the beaches. The traffic can be somewhat bad because there's one road. Right. That's all that there is. So there's no other option when you're coming onto the island or going off. But if you're not there on a Saturday or Sunday, it is so easy to move around and easy to get to, you know, restaurants and grocery stores and things of that sort. So the experience is, is definitely different further south. But to me, having two young boys, they prefer the duck and Kerala experience where they right. have access to tennis courts and pools and putt-putt courses and the go-karts, things of that sort. It's nice to have more of a selection of restaurants, which there's some, I can, I'll, I'll touch on a few of the really good places how, that we went. I would just describe the food experience, obviously duck and, and Kerala, but all over. Uh, is it good? Uh, great? Big varieties and all seafood? Yeah. Um, so, so you can find, yeah, I mean, you can find your steaks, you know, your American flavor types of meals and your burgers and things of that sort and French fries. But they all seem to have a really good selection of fresh seafood. And uh -huh. to me, it's always good. I have some favorite places that I've been to that, you know, where the service was great, where the, the setting, the ambiance was really great and the food was really great and so we went to this time around we went to and this was my father-in-law that picked this place called the paper canoe and he'd heard great things about it and was referred to it by somebody and we had the hardest time getting a reservation they were booked solid now this was on the sound side and there's you know not a real big restaurant so not a lot of seats but you had some good views of the sound and the service was excellent the menu was really fun they had different chef selections for different like, you know, the chef's special appetizer and, of course, you know, meal were really unique. But they also had cocktails that were the chef's special different cocktails that they had that my, my wife had and my sister-in-law had some really great ones. The paper canoe was a highlight this time around. Anytime we're in the Duck and Corolla area, we love the Sunset Grill. And that's on the sound side. And it has a decking system that goes around so if you can get outdoor seating at the sunset grill which is what we did the first thing we got there we got there around one o'clock 12 o'clock or one o'clock on a sunday there's no reservations you just show up and we were going to have to wait about an hour for a seat on the deck and we just decided well we can't check in until four so let's wait well it turns out the table opened up like within 10 minutes and so we were out on the deck they have a, a dock you can walk out onto and rent jet skis they have a place where you could rent a pontoon boat and do a sunset cruise, your own sunset cruise for up to 13 people. Wow. Um, and uh, so we were going to do that, but the, the pontoon bro uh, boat was broken down. 
So we weren't able to get it on the night that we wanted it. So we weren't able to go out on that. Um, but something that's kind of on our list. Something that, you know, the, uh, the Black Pelican was another one. Now, that was down more towards where you come off of 158 onto there. And it was, I think it was the first lifeguard station. Mm. And there's a cool story about the Black Pelican that saved a swimmer. Oh, really? that led the lifeguards to saving somebody. So there's a cool little story on the back of it. But oh, it's, wow. it's a bigger building. And you can see the, the uh, original building online. But it's a, it's a larger restaurant now. And the, the food there was excellent as well. Wow. Great calamari. I had, uh, you know, we had some wonderful different seafood dishes there. So we really enjoyed that. The last food experience I'm going to tell you that you have to do, and I didn't realize that this place had grown so big, is called Duck Donuts. And it's franchised now. And we have heard about it from different people. And we decided on our way to the Corolla Adventure Center, we stopped at Duck Donuts. And I said, <laughs> I figured we probably needed to get there a little bit early to give ourselves some time, but I didn't realize at 7.30 in the morning how many people were going to be there. So when when you go when you go into the parking lot, we, we had we had to wait for a parking this spot. Is a duck donuts this parking is a lot. Duck donuts in duck. In duck. Now they have many, many other locations all over the US. Oh, okay. But, but it's originated in duck. It originated in duck. And what you do is at least at this location, when you go up onto the little boardwalk where the shops are. On the left is where you go in and there's a menu and you order your donuts in the, the store on the left. And so you get to choose your your topping and or you, what you dip it in, the coating, and then you choose a topping and then you can choose a drizzle or something along the, those lines. And you can order one donut or three or six or 12 or whatever you do. So we, we ordered a half dozen. And then once you order on that side, they give you a ticket. And then you go back outside onto the boardwalk and on the other side of the boardwalk is where you pick up your donuts, yeah. but you can go in and you can watch them being made. So the donuts are coming out of the machine, dropping into the deep fryer right in front of you and being cooked right there, hitting the conveyor belt, coming up. And they had 15 people in there working, putting all the donuts together, dipping them, packaging them up. The kids loved it. They were hot. When they came out, you actually had to wait a few minutes for them to cool off. So it was just a really cool experience. My favorite was uh, the maple glaze with freshly cooked bacon crumpled over top oh, of it. That's it interesting. Was, that's an interesting combination. A maple bacon donut. So that, that's, that's, like having, so that's like your, your pancakes and syrup and bacon on the it's, side all in a donut. It was all of it. I mean, that, that's good stuff there. It was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so so we had fun with that too. So yeah, so lots of, you know, obviously lots of fresh seafood and things of that sort. Now, but what, what we do when we go there is We'll typically go together with several families and we all chip in and rent a house and it can become fairly reasonable to do that. And then we cook meals in the house. Everybody takes turn. They get a, a, Every family gets a night to cook meals. And uh, that's kind of the, you know, but we try to go out to dinner once or twice or at least have sure. a few experiences, but they have good choices. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. So let's see, what else? Uh, we talked about the Wright Brothers. They have the, the Wright, if we're moving back off of food, and just a couple other really cool things. We've been to the Wright Brothers Museum there. Oh, cool. So you can actually see, it's been several years ago, and I can still picture the plane. So I don't know if it's part of the original plane or if it was just a replica rebuilt where you can see it. Mm -hmm. And the, the runway is there. And um, cool. so you can get all the history of the Wright brothers and you can, you can see where they took off and you know, where nice. the first flight museum right. is Kitty Hawk. And right there in Kitty Hawk. That's kind of a cool thing to do. I think it's one of the must 
things to do when you're there. And of course, if it rains, you've got movie theaters and all that stuff that's, uh, you know, within a relatively easy drive, as long as it's not a Saturday or Sunday during high traffic, right. or if you're not all the way down on the tip of the right? you take your own movies with you. Then. Which is an inter- a very important part to the listeners. You know, I now know if I go all the way south that I may have to go 25 miles or 25 minutes right. to a grocery store. Whereas if I stay maybe near Duck or some of those other places, yeah. a little more, I think vacation should be vacation. Right. So it, it sounds like that's what you guys do when you travel, which is important, I think. Yeah, depending on what you want to do, depending yeah. on if yeah. you have kids or if you want to be more in the heart of things and have a little more activity and a few right. more choices, or if you just want to kind of be out and and away from things and right. nice, more calm and relaxing. And there's still a few, you know, good restaurants I remember eating at. I can't remember their names all the way right. down Hatteras, but I remember it being a good experience. Oh, I'm sure. But to play golf, uh, my father-in-law and I had to drive over an hour to get back onto the mainland to a golf course. Uh, wow. And so if you want to play golf, you're almost using up an entire right. beach day um, in order to do it. So there, most of uh, you're in a lot of uh, sand traps to begin with, because that's what the whole outer back is. is a well, and, a, and I would imagine a lot of wind. Yeah. And yes, there yeah. can be a lot of wind. I mean, because, you know, especially out on the, out in, in, in the Outer Banks, I would imagine because you're out there on a sand dune in essence, I'm sure there's right. a coastal breeze going one way or the other, right. you know? Right. So, so you, you've touched on a lot of things and it sounds like Outer Banks is a great place to go. You mentioned accommodations. You all rent a house. I, I know a lot of people that do that. In fact, at the time I went, uh, I'm pretty sure we either went through, in fact, one of our affiliates, VRBO, and, and we're able yeah. to rent a a part of a house. It was just me and my wife at the time. But are there normal hotels? I like said, most people are renting houses, so that's been my experience and people I know. But are there hotels there that if, if you just want a more traditional call up and get a hotel? But it doesn't seem like a lot because it's not a touristy area. You're right. And maybe there's more hotels there than what I realize. But it, what I recall is, is as soon as you come off of 158 onto the Outer Banks, there's a big hotel there, maybe another smaller one. It was really pricey, but it had a beach access and had a pool. We got there a day early to avoid the traffic, and we stayed on the one that was further back close to Highway 158, and that's where we are actually able to walk over to the Black Pelican. So we stayed at a very reasonable hotel. You know, It was very nice. But once you get onto the Outer Banks and you start driving north or south, I don't recall seeing any hotels. I think maybe the closest were there were a few resorts right. type of areas, um, but a lot of the resorts had just homes. That I, I was going to say that's been my feel. And like I said, most people I know, I don't get many to go there. They're usually renting houses. So it's, yeah. it's a different dynamic in that sense. Yeah. And, and you can find them on Airbnb. Airbnb I, I or like I said, VRBO. VRBO that's right. So both are great ways to go. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And, uh, but yeah, VRBO had uh, quite a few selections from what I had seen as well, from single rooms to renting a couch to doing all sorts of kind of fun right. things that you can do. Yeah, lots of different ways to stay. Of course, they have campgrounds as well, I mean, with, right. with RVs and tents. And I think when I was really young, I remember my parents taking us and uh, throwing a tent. Um, and it was, you know, almost walking distance to the beach. I remember it raining all week, though. Which was a, not one of my better memories of the beach, but this this past one there at Duck, it didn't rain at all. It was it was really wonderful. So, 
Here's a question at its widest point. How wide do you think the Outer Banks would be from one end going west to east? Ocean side to yeah, sound yeah, side. Yeah, so sound side to ocean side. What, what do you think is the widest point? I mean, and, and it doesn't have to be precise, but what do you think? Oh, a sure couple miles, maybe? The smallest is probably about a mile. I mean, it's probably some stretches like a half mile, but I wouldn't be surprised there's three or four mile stretches. Yeah. Because I'm thinking when, when you're describing this, I'm thinking about driving from Miami down to Key West and through the little beach towns, and because it's kind of the same thing. They're little, yeah. You know, yeah. some of them are a quarter, half mile wide. It seems and like. they just sort of ramble on you. You don't even realize you're in one town to the next. Uh, I know going through uh, Kill Devil Hills and Kitty Hawk, and then that's it. It's just like bam, bam, bam. It's just like going from Ransom Charlestown. You don't even know <laughs> something changed. A local reference. Yeah. I don't know the end. It is. Yeah, no, um, yeah. It's two hundred miles long, though. Yeah, that and it, it, yeah, and it's not. It's not important. I just wondered how if there were, you know, I see it being maybe a couple miles, three, five miles yeah. max wide. Yeah, I don't. Because when you were saying, because <laughs> when you were saying, when you stayed at the campgrounds as a kid. I can imagine that wherever you stayed there, you could find the beach. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. oh, well, I found the ocean. Or I found the sound. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty easy to find. Um, yeah, once you're out onto the Outer Banks and as you're driving, I, certainly my sense is, is that, you know, even where the main towns are, it doesn't doesn't seem like it's any more than a mile across. Um, yeah. And, probably, and certainly shorter at certain sections where I know driving down to Hatteras when you're going south, there were sections where you could see the ocean side and the sound side on from the road. Side. And, oh, and you're driving on what felt like just was a little strip of ground and a big wave that came through. You might get washed off onto one right. side or another. I guess you probably from the ocean side to the sound side and right. get washed into there. But um, it's uh, it's a cool place. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Any of our listeners, if you have the chance, I think it's a great place to go. Go check it out. I've been inspired. I think I don't think I've ever been there. At least I don't remember being out there. And and I think it's it, again. It reminds me of the drive from Miami to Key West. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a little different because you're. Yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah, but it's someone, yeah. Someone. Yeah. So I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah. Very good. Well, I think we we covered quite a bit. Uh, there's many more things to do there. We we certainly didn't cover them all. Um, but, you know, those, I think, were some of the highlights. So, listeners, stay tuned. Um, check with us next week to kind of see what our new topic is going to be next week. We certainly appreciate you, you listening. You can find us at uh, friendsthatcarryon.com, or you can search for us on Facebook or Instagram. Be sure to on our website to check out our highlighted affiliate, Lonely Planet, if you're, you're looking for some more great information on how, where to travel. They are a great resource. Gang, anything else today before we sign off? No. Travel. Travel, travel. Get out and do it. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody. And we will talk to you next time. Peace. Be sure to join the friends next week with another great podcast. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. You can also find the friends and other content on www.friendsthatcarryon.com or check us out on Twitter. Instagram, or Facebook by searching Friends That Carry On. Thanks again for joining us. And don't forget to carry on, friends.